This is Dojo Live, Tech Without Borders, stories that bring us together. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode this week here on Dojo Live, May 9th, 2023. My name is Kim Lantis, and it's my pleasure to be co-hosting along with America Guerrero today. Hi, everybody. Hello, Rakesh. Yes, Rakesh. Hello, Rakesh Yadev, who is the founder of Adaptive. Thank you so much for joining us today, Rakesh, out of the Bay Area. How's the weather? (laughs) Oh, weather is always great. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Perfect. I'm glad to hear it. You know, today we're here to talk about, surprise, surprise, AI, that big buzzword. It's everywhere these days, but in conjunction with machine learning and how that applies to e-commerce. But before we dive into the topic, we'd love to kind of get to know you a bit better. Rakesh, what's your story? What's your passion? And what's led up to your time founding Adaptive? Yeah, broadly, uh, uh, thanks a lot, by the way, Kim and America for organizing this and hosting me. Uh, pleasure. Thank you. And uh, my story is just a typical immigrant story. Did uh, undergrad in India, grew up in India, then uh, master's, then joined Google first job, stayed there 14 years. Uh, probably too long, but uh, 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 it was needed to build up the skill sets and build up the network. Yeah, as far as first of, jobs go, you could do a lot worse, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got lucky. I got lucky like that. So uh, I, I didn't go to Ivy Leagues either. So I went to like LSU, Louisiana, of all places. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I was too poor to pay for money. So Louisiana gave me full funding. That's how I picked. Those nice. were the reasons. I love it. Yeah, random butterfly effects. Uh, and then after that, uh, within Google, after a few years, I well, I started picking zero to one projects. So And then uh, my name started uh, getting called for uh, anything when we wanted to get them off the ground. So I was textbook uh, definition of intrapreneur. While I was waiting for a green card, that was the main reason I had to stay longer. Uh, I ended up uh, building a lot of uh, zero to one projects. And my batting average has been in 14 years, I think 14 projects, eight of them reached billion plus ARR. Uh, seven of them I killed between six to nine months. Wow. And, uh, uh, yeah, and then last last few projects was uh, in Google Ads, we built out, uh, we founded and led a team which built out the end-to-end machine learning platform, which uh, the main premise was uh, in Google Ads uh, for an idea to reach uh, production, which is uh, in front of uh, customers or uh, consumers. It would take six to nine months. We wanted to, I personally wanted to reduce it to like less than a day, which was probably too ambitious. But uh, by the time I left two years ago, March, uh, many teams were able to get their idea in production in like three to four days, which was a big improvement. Wow, that's fantastic. Going from six to nine months to three to four days. Yeah, that was great, especially because 2020 and 20, like COVID hit, right? So everything needed to adapt faster. So this kind of velocity helped increase the innovation uh, to a bigger extent. And as you can imagine, like a lot of Google products, uh, like especially ads products benefited out of that. For sure. And then the premise was after, uh, if at Google, there is a need for such a platform, what are the rest of the people in uh, the world uh, doing? Uh, who can't attract, uh, who don't have these many resources in terms of human talent as well as machine. So that's where we, I quit, thankfully, a bunch of us uh, who have been working with me 
Colex Express has also quit. Uh, and bunch of Google leadership along with all my Bay Area and broader network also invested. And uh, we were able to uh, set up this uh, company and it's been two years. Uh, and yeah, we currently is fo are focused on e-commerce vertical and vacation rental vertical. But in the background, we are really building out into an ML platform. So that way it's very easy for people to you know lock, leverage machine learning capabilities so that they don't have to, you know, hire like Google engineers. Or <laughs> I love it. I love it. So let's dive into that with adaptive, your end-to-end -end capabilities, machine learning, e-commerce. What exactly is the solution that you're providing? What's the problem you're solving? So for for rest of the companies who don't have the talent pool or also the uh, resources like uh, money to pay for the compute, uh, what we are providing is intelligent products. So basically, we help them build out uh, their own Amazon so that way they can control their own destiny. So there are multiple intelligent products ranging from recommendations, which are highly personalized for every user, uh, to personalized search, which is, uh, again, highly personalized so that if three of us search for shirts on an apparel site, uh, you, you, the machine learning will uh, understand that uh, America loves color red, I love color black and white, and uh, yeah, pink for you. And that way, it will be very, uh, uh, it will be very highly personalized even for the same search results. But all of these are focused to drive up revenue. Uh, at the end of the day, if we don't increase the revenue, there is no point. Of for course, using leveraging machine learning. Yeah. All right. And I think that's a great dive into the question that we're we're asking today, or asking and hoping to answer. Right. Yes. The topic is AI and machine learning for e-commerce. How can direct-to-consumer e-commerce retailers take advantage of AI and machine learning technologies to scale their businesses in 2023? So please share with us the answer. Yeah. At the end of the day, machine learning can. Uh, uh, at the end of the day, all the consumers directly should be seeing whatever they want through, according to their interests, according to their current context. So, for example, by context, I mean if I'm traveling on a business, if I'm looking for business attire, I'm looking for something else other than like when I'm looking for my whole family, uh, like a costume uh, for, you know, Halloween. So the context is also important even for the same person. So at the end of the day, there is insane amount of value to be had by using uh, machine learning for all the pieces of the site. Ideally, even the organization of the site, like uh, it should be tailor-made for every customer. So let's say someone has like, you know, 1 million customers, it should be 1 million version of that site for each of those customers, uh, ideally. So, uh, Basically pick anything and everything on the site, ranging from search recommendations to reviews to, you know, which reviews to show. Like if, I, if I'm looking for, if I love traveling, like hiking in the mountains, I would prefer trekking shoes. And let's say someone who wants beach wear will prefer, you know, uh, uh, beach sandals. So even all of those contexts are very critical. And then the reviews should also, like things like reviews should also extract that information, which is relevant to me rather than the entire, like everybody seeing the same site. At the end of the day, basically, we want them to have their own Amazon. Yeah, I think that's that's really beautiful. And when you talk about them, who is them and your target client in these e-commerce retailers? Is it anyone and everyone from this little startup, you know, making things out of 
their your garage or is are you going after like the bigger companies in between what's what's yeah. your handle so uh, everybody who's selling directly online not like through amazon and channel so that way they want to build up their own brand uh, because at the end of the day in amazon if you're selling on amazon some in the early days that is needed for every seller but everybody who's selling and doing like more than you know one two million uh, yearly gmv partly because below below that the machine learning is not useful uh, because we don't have enough data to personalize and also we don't do cross network uh, like cross customers uh, data sharing either so someone who is selling online wants to create their own brand wants to grow very quickly by leveraging machine learning ideally over uh, one two million gmv so that it has enough purchases uh, the more skews, the better. If someone is selling only one, like less than 10 products, there's not much uh, personalization that is needed. Uh, uh, and then uh, uh, ideally, we would we don't have the brand presence to move, like to handle uh, like the bigger customers who do more than, you know, like 500 million to 1 billion. But over time, we want to get into that market. So currently, I think our biggest customer makes like 200 million uh, yearly GMV. Uh, so, but the, at the end of the day, it all is very scalable. So we can plug things in. Very it's really interesting. And this is an experience that's limited to their person, like their company websites where they're doing their selling, or is this also an element of personalization that's going to come up in ads and everywhere else that's going to give me visibility? Yeah, it's just for ease of integration and being able to launch customers very fast, we have built out products. But at the end of the day, all of these products are using some foundational machine learning models, like uh, taste models based on color, based on preferences, then uh, context-based like events, like which products after purchasing these, after looking at these three products, people purchase this one. Uh, geo profiles, like uh, someone from New Mexico, Mexico and Bay Area might have like different tastes based on the weather. Uh, purchasing power of every user. So we built out all of these. So then we end up, we can actually use it for other things. Like for example, on Google Ads, one of my one of my customers uh, they they and they asked us for this uh, uh, purchasing like a lifetime value uh, of a customer data. So we categorize them into high, mid, low, and the high LTV folks who are coming on the site, he wants to not show them ads because they are already loyal customers. So that way they want to you know save ads. So there are a lot of innovative things that can be done because of these foundational models. You know, and I think what you're talking about with the ad work is a really interesting element of personalization that, to be honest, I don't think I've ever heard of before. And it makes a lot of sense because if you know that this person is loyal, you wouldn't want to be heckling and like, let me have this amazing experience. So let's talk to this. this how important is personalization in e-commerce in general to drive this increase in revenue that everyone's hoping for yeah so uh, i think in the current market we have seen uh, not many people have been able to a uh, uh, lot of our customers have been able to generate like you know 20 percent lift even through like just recommendation and search sometimes even higher uh, of course for somebody who has been using machine learning already for the different pieces the lift might not be that much but more than just the revenue lift, there is a, something to be said about being adaptable to changing market conditions. For example, everything was looking good, but then uh, COVID hit 
So how does the inventory change? And then how, uh, do we really still want to show the same product recommendation? How quickly can uh, uh, rules-based or human-based analyst can adapt? Because we train our models and change things daily, weekly. In Google, we used to do every 15 minutes, honestly, just that we don't have enough data here. So we can really do as often as possible. So the changing market dynamics is a very important cutting edge uh, thing that is needed in this current scenario that we are going for. What is unique and adaptive? Because I have seen that tons of companies are selling that they are utilizing AI and machine learning. So that is not longer like new or is yeah. it new or what could you share? Yeah. So I mean, AI is not new. It's been like 50, 80 years. Uh, first time the neural nets were uh, coined. Uh, the, the main thing uh, that is uh, really new is uh, the, we have built out a system where we can pick the uh, right model for a right business person. And we make that decision on a daily basis. So, and then over time we'll keep adding to this pool of like currently, I think we have like 20, 30 models, but over time we'll just keep adding more and more these techniques, but all of that complexity is really hidden from our customers. So that way they don't have to understand, Oh, ChatGPT is a new technology. Should we use it? Should we not? In the background, we'll, if it is useful, uh, we'll just use it. And then uh, we uh, we put a layer on top of experiments. So we, we try out, you know, with smaller traffic, each of these models and let the winner survive. And then that takes over the whole traffic. And we make this decision on a daily basis. So something like this, uh, this level of adaptability and then having end-to-end -end package system. So that way system can adapt and heal. While many people talk about just different models and uh, not many others, for example, machine learning engineers are not able to run something in production. And then production folks, like infrastructure folks, don't understand enough machine learning. But the unique part over here is everything is in a well-contained, simple package. So much so that a lot of us, uh, all of these have uh, APIs, but they also have a widget. So you can just embed a widget and forget about APIs or anything else and just move on. I think that's actually really fascinating. And when it comes to quantity, I mean, I understand your ideal customer and the number of SKUs, offerings, et cetera. But when it comes to machine learning and data, like you mentioned, you know, Google being able to do in 15 minutes because the numbers are there, what maybe it'll take, you can't do for a day or something. But like, is there ever too much? Is there ever going to be a limit to what machine learning AI is capable of? Like, when is enough enough? Is like... Yeah, so same types of data after a certain point, the models learn. So on those fronts, there is enough. Beyond a certain point, if it's the same image with the same red shirt, there's only so much you can train. That said, for different variety, that is never enough just because the world is changing on a daily basis. So every, like whatever we have trained, like, you know, on like, let's say, uh, last until last year's data, but this year is completely different. So this year needs to be, this year data needs to be fed in. Then of course the 2020 year was very interesting for everybody. Uh, so whatever was trained beyond that will not work in 2020. <laughs> so everybody, everything needs to be retrained. That's why this crazy focus on like continuous learning, like humans, we, we want our models to be like humans, like continuously learning, continuously adapting. That actually makes a lot of sense. And I think in terms of trend, is with e-commerce, I think this makes a lot of sense on a, for individual um, 
companies, right? Like these are my yep. products, these are the products that I'm selling. But how sure. would a technology like yours or similar to yours be, is there the potential for abuse in places like Amazon where there's so many different retailers, so many different individuals, you know, Facebook came in the news, you know, when it comes to um, just elections and like influencing yep. people and whatever. Is this also happening in the e-commerce space? Yeah, so I, one of the main reasons why we don't share customer data across the board is for that reason. So that way the machines really are only trained for our uh, one seller's data and nothing else. So that way it's like very same as uh, basically it's their IP and it stays with them. Okay. So we don't learn anything like cross-cutting like Amazon or uh, whatever Facebook has done. Second piece on the e-com side, uh, this is the other reason why I didn't pick uh, healthcare or fintech as a vertical, just because of like uh, uh, like in the early days in a startup uh, life, right? Like you know, there's a lot of failures. So just in case I didn't want to have any failure on the healthcare world assigned to me. Uh, so that was the other reason why we really wanted to do like if I'm if I gave you a bad recommendation in, on a on a site, of probably, course, yeah, probably fine. Lower I mean, risk course, it, yeah, when you're buying risk. a pair of shoes than when you're choosing a, a defibrillator or something. Or did I even yeah. say that word right? I don't know. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, and like uh, one reason, one big uh, hospital owner who has a chain of hospitals in India is talking to me about putting our image model in there. But even in that scenario. We are going to keep the doctors in the loop so that way the final decision is in doctor just that machines will give the hint just that they'll be like a put instead of like main primary surgeon it can go to like first year residency when we are like really really confident still we are not making full uh, ml based uh, uh, decisions on those critical scenarios especially because of that uh, uh, edge cases where it goes here because it is all probabilistic so you really it's not like pure math, right? So it's really not uh, uh, 100% accurate because it's not one equation. Right. You're referring and to healthcare, right? Not hospitality. No, no, no. Healthcare. Hospitality, we are doing it. Yeah, it makes uh -huh. sense. Something I that meant we, hospitals. Yeah, hospitals, yeah. And it makes sense. I mean, it's something that we hear often and I agree with, right? When it comes to artificial intelligence, the end goal is to help us do what we do better and best, right? And so right. in that particular instance, you know, empowering the doctors or the the physicians to make better decisions, maybe investigate a path they might not have otherwise investigated. Um, but ultimately, you know, the decision I think is right, but it's a human thing. And I think there's elements of just emotion and I don't know, like, I, it sounds so silly maybe, but there's so much to be said of like this gut feeling that we as oh, no, people definitely. have that a machine I don't think can replicate. Yeah, definitely. Uh, some of those, uh, th that's where the experts are, right? Like that's where the 1% are. So uh, the surgeon that I'm talking about, he's just barely from 7 a.m. to like 10 p.m. He just does surgeries. And in between, he finds time to look at these CAT scans to decide that, oh, uh, this needs surgery or not, right? So barely, uh, I think most likely he eats like once a day, things like those, like two coffee. Maybe he is a machine. <laughs> yeah, he is definitely a machine. Uh, but the longer, the, the amount of hours he works, he saves lives directly. So it's directly proportional to like having an impact. So that's why I can't blame him either. 
I mean, more power to him, whatever he can do. Uh, but if we can save these, uh, you know, back office work so that he can focus on like there is no physical care and which focuses on intuition, as you were saying, those are where his truly leveraged, not like looking at like paperwork where 90% of the work is, you know, uh, For sure. automated. So let's take this back to you, Rakesh, and your learnings as an individual, as a founder, as an entrepreneur. Um, you mentioned, you know, reasons behind why you specifically chose e-commerce versus, you know, other verticals. What other advice might you give to to people like you who are looking to get into the startups to try something new? What has worked for you and maybe what didn't that you would counsel others not to do? Yeah, so I think of uh, life in like 15-year intervals. So I'm a very weird person, probably too patient as well. Uh, so, for example, first 15 years, I built up uh, my skill sets, my network. Uh, so that way, while I mean, money-wise, I'm probably doing fine by most standards. But uh, but my main power, the main things that I've built up is uh, uh, investment in myself, my team, my broader network. Then we convert them into these 15 years and uh, convert them into money once you've built up all of that skills. And during this time frame. While I love to do healthcare, like again, I'm very focused to do uh, uh, money money creation a lot more, so that way we can have access. I can have access to capital, and then the third phase is where I will really take my own capital and double down on like you know healthcare, energy, and these things. And that's the 15, 15, 15 years. For someone uh, that's very broad, but for someone who's just starting a startup in this uh, in this harsh market, I would say, no matter what. Uh, uh, just focusing, it's very cliched, but focusing on customer. Uh, I go even to the crazy level that I sell first and then build. So one of our early customers, we actually, I actually went and sat with them for two days and I'm whiteboarded it and then said, this is, is this important problem for you? Basically, what are your problems? And then I whiteboarded it. Oh, this, this, we can build this. I can build this. I can build. And if we build something like this, would you, would you like it? And they're like, sounds good. And uh, some, uh, some, you do need some early adopters in the early phases, of course. So some customers were were actually uh, willing to, you know, pay uh, pay cost while we build up. So they they started the subscription even while build up phase, and thankfully we were able to get something going in two weeks as well. So and that's kudos to my team. How do so, you keep that? Sorry, I'm no, no, please sure you, go ahead. You said that you're patient. How do you keep that balance between patient and, and impatience? Bring ambitious and also bring quick solutions to your consumers. How do you yep. do that? Yeah, in the, I, I, it's very weird. So you have to zoom in, zoom out very quickly on the time scale. So on the zoom in side, which is like, you know, on a weekly basis, I'm very impatient. So day and night, but on the broader goals, like uh, thinking about like 15 years, I'm very patient. So as the sayings go, right? Like uh, most people uh, overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in 10 years. And that's pretty much very true. Like if you have line of sight, uh, that's it. The 10, 15 year goals, you don't think about it every day, right? Like it's like once a, once a quarter, once a year kind of thing. You just write it down, 10 year plan and move on. You take so, every now and then you take a step back and step say, back. okay, where am I? Have I progressed? Have I not? What can I do yep. differently? And, and that's the part of the, actually that piece of my Google training as well. One is like focus on people. So keep like have awesome people because uh, my job is to take care of people who actually take care of customers. But uh, second is uh, 
process is like OKR, like quarterly OKR. Like from day one, we, we wrote quarterly OKRs. Even if it was like to come up with a product plan, <laughs> just write it down and then rate it. And, and then we have a weekly snippet where we write uh, everything, like everybody writes whatever they worked on this week. Just for, because of this remote setting, we have to like over communicate. Also it is optional, but uh, we do that. Then other advices that I will give for founder is uh, uh, ideally find the right investor and uh, be like, I think most founders will know this, like be like, we are, we are very okay to hear no. So like after 99 no's, you hear one yes. Same with customers, same with investors. And that's very fine. So if investors said, uh, no, don't get bummed out, keep going. Uh, that said, please look for critical feedback. I think a lot many investors uh, don't really, they, are, they try to be nice. So unless mm -hmm. you have a term sheet, it's a no. That's one mm -hmm. thing which I also say. And then ask them like, hey, what is taking you long to decide longer? And they will actually give very hard, uh, very good feedback because they, are, they have like broad view of like the entire industry, especially in the early stages. I think that's an interesting question. And maybe most of us don't have the tendency to go that far, right? Like you can learn to be okay with the no, but then what comes next is that no is okay, but can you tell me why not? Yep. And I think that's the why not is the piece that most of us, many of us fail to, to ask. Yeah. Like my early deck, uh, the deck I wrote with, uh, first week after leaving Google versus like every month, if you snapshot it, like, they are all completely changed. Uh, so nobody knows what you're going to build. So listen to customers build and listen for feedback and keep adapting. That's awesome. Do you find that working in this routine of like OKRs and having something constant is helpful for you? And if so, my question also is, how do you keep it fresh? Because I think a lot of times with like this types of repetitive brainstorming and group sessions, like it can start to feel like if I got to fill out my OKR because I have to fill out my OKR. Like, what have you found that works for you and your team to actually make it matter? Yeah, so it depends on different phases. Uh, first phase, when we were like a five-person or less company, we all just wrote, sat down together and wrote OKR in one page. <laughs> then currently, we are like, and it was like less than 10 lines. Uh, uh, currently, now we are like a 33-person company in three countries. Uh, we all have different sub teams, so like sales, marketing, uh, engineering, product, uh, customer success. Uh, so all of these folks have their individual OKRs, and then we just bubble it up into like company level OKRs. So basically, I just say three bullet points which are most important for this quarter, and that is marge is a hint which people just use to, you know, uh, uh, tune fine tune their OKRs. But they already know what they are working on, so. Uh, it's like one, two days process every quarter. And then mid quarter, we just do a rating as well, just to double check where we are. But it's more like uh, uh, the plan is useless, but the planning is indispensable, right? So, so that OKR doc is probably useless. <laughs> so I don't become a stickler to it. But it's like writing that down forces you to focus. This is P0, this is P1, this one I can drop. Okay. Uh, if I don't have enough work, I should talk to somebody. What 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 should we do? <laughs> Things like those. It makes sense. In terms of like your company culture, the community that you're building, I imagine that that also creates a lot of unity and alignment. Yeah, thankfully, half like 
half the people I know for like six plus years. So this is uh, this is the beauty of like doing it in industry for like you know fifteen years that I have assembled and more are come, more are gonna come. So that way it doesn't feel like I have left Google or whatnot. Uh, basically, it's a bunch of us uh, friends having fun together. That helps uh, very a lot in terms of uh, uh, building the culture. Partly because bunch of us know each other, especially in remote setting. Because remote setting is very bad for like you know new guy, new person. How do how, how do they learn through osmosis? Like the amount of learning somebody who will have with someone who is 50, 15 years in the industry, if someone's recently graduated, versus being remote and just you know reading and talking on. This. And what did you do during the pandemic if, for new people? What was the dynamic? Yeah. yeah, so what we, so many things we do, which is, uh, uh, I followed that in my Google Teams. That's why I, I built like these uh, cult-like teams. Uh, many things is, one of the most important thing is, while the person will have manager, he should have a direct mentor who is not responsible for performance review, but it's more like just a, the mentor's job is to make sure the person is successful. It could be like every 10, every day for five minutes, check, hey, what's any problems being me? What's going on? Or it could be also like, hey, uh, you want to pitch about your boss? Like, feel free to pitch to me and I will be happy. Like, I will, it, it will not go back to, you know, boss and everybody else. So that's very critical. Then second was uh, we, we do a weekly deep dive where everybody and anybody picks a topic and gives a, you know, tech talk, which gets recorded and saved. So that helps uh, a lot more uh, to, to you know uh, distribute knowledge uh, of our past learnings, not just adaptive, but also of our past uh, things that we have learned. Then third thing was uh, I hold like a, a monthly AMA sessions per country, so then they can ask me anything, any questions that they have. Uh, previous prior to this, we used to have like a monthly. Uh, uh, you know, updates across all job functions as well, where all the leads would present. So that way everybody knows the monthly progress. Basically more communication and more channels to communicate uh, is the key in this setting. But also for someone junior, having like one mentor in addition to the manager where they can just talk anything and it will not affect their job. And having that, you know, uh, mental safety is very important. I love it. I love it. Mental safety being very important. You know, Rakesh, I think we've learned a lot from you today, not just about e-commerce machine learning, but um, company culture and how to build out a successful company, how to create your own career path. I mean, I think this has been a very interesting, very successful show today here on Dojo Live. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us. Thanks a lot. I had so much fun. Thanks a lot for organi organizing this again. No, it's been great. We wish you and Adapt nothing more um, than success as you continue to roll out your really cool product. Um, so thank you. Thank you. Stick thank you. Early thank days. You. Thank yeah. you. Yes. Uh, stick around for just a minute as we go off air. Uh, but before we do, we'd like to tell our viewers what we've got coming up tomorrow. Yay. Tomorrow we're going to have another show with Irv Lustig. Lustig, correct, Kim? Lustig. Irv Lustig, I think Irv so. Lustig. Yeah. The topic is going to be about optimization's essential role in the AI revolution. What is optimization and how does it relate to AI and data science? What kinds of applications in optimization are used for and what skills are needed to apply it successfully? He is optimization principal at Princeton Consultants. Tomorrow yeah. at 10 a.m. Pacific. It's going to be a lot. All right. Join us tomorrow at 10 a.m. Pacific. Yeah, join us, Rakesh. <laughs> All right. See everyone tomorrow. Bye for now. See y'all. Thank you.
Check out past episodes, transcripts, blogs, and more on our website, dojo.nearsoft.com. Thank you.